Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello. Welcome to another episode of Ohio Mysteries Backroads. In this podcast, we explore some of the little-known legends, stories, places, and rumors about the great Buckeye State. We're your hosts, Mike and Dan. So hide the keys, lock the doors, and turn down the lights. The next episode is about to begin. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Ohio Mysteries Backroads. I'm Dan, and this is my partner, Mike. Mike, how are you? I'm doing great, Dan. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Boy, do we have a story today. I'm really excited to hear about it. Tell me more. This is a really crazy story. It's the story of the Berlin Lake murders. And in full disclosure, our teammates over at Ohio Mysteries have also done an excellent podcast on this too. Paula and Steve have done a fantastic job, and this is something of an update on that case. So, if you're interested and want to learn more, go check out that podcast, too, and we'll include a link in the description. You know, I think I've heard something about this story, so I'm eager to hear more. Yeah, yeah. You know what? It happened right in our backyard. Okay, so tell me what happened. Well, it's a wild case and still never solved. So, let's begin. Dark Woods off Utown Road near Deerfield, Ohio, guard a deadly secret. In the span of a year, four unsolved murders would be tied to this location and the residents soon began to call it Murder Road. The western section off Utown Road runs north and south off of State Route 225. The southern part of the road dead ends into Berlin Lake, which is a 3,300-acre man-made sportsman's paradise. The lake was completed in 1942 and instantly became popular with hunters, campers, fishermen, and hikers. It's situated in northern Ohio, and the lake is in parts of Stark, Mahoning, and Portage Counties, and located between Cleveland, Akron, Youngstown, and Pittsburgh. Remote, rural, and isolated, Futon Road soon developed a reputation where bad things happen. Sort of like a playground for criminals, huh? Yeah, yeah, something like that. There were reports of gang violence, organized crime, and illegal activity, and the residents began to become concerned. Starting in 1993, a wave of deadly violence would produce no fewer than four murders and potentially more, as officials began to notice striking similarities in these deadly cases. It became so bad, the local fire department even refused to answer emergency calls after dark on Futon Road without a police escort. And like all good stories, this one begins with, here's how it happened. So this took place a short distance away. Not only a short distance away, a short time away too. 
And it's one of those cases where nobody seems to talk about it. On July 10th, 1993, swimmers in Berlin Lake discovered the dead body of 22-year-old Virginia Lekorczyk of Alliance, Ohio, floating face down along Willow Point Beach less than three miles away from Futon Road. She was found fully clothed, and her entire body had been beaten badly. She had been last seen the night before at a bar called the Town Tavern in Alliance, Ohio, a short distance from Berlin Lake. She had been last seen in the company of 22-year-old Robert Moore, and Virginia's family began to worry when she hadn't returned home that night. The next day, her family was driving around the area looking for her and were crushed to discover that authorities had found her dead body, and they had to identify her there on the shores of Berlin Lake. Wow, wow, that's awful. Yeah, this story is just absolutely full of heartache and sadness. Robert had beaten her so badly that the marijuana symbol on the ring on his hand actually left imprints on her body. After he left Virginia for dead, he returned home to his mobile home that he shared with his wife where he burned his cowboy boots and bloody clothes. Hoping that a confession would produce a lighter sentence, Moore admitted to the crime and turned himself over to the police. He claimed the pair had left the bar that night and headed to Berlin Lake where Glenna would rebuff his advances and then, in his words, he lost it beating her violently and then dumping her body into Berlin Lake and leaving her for dead. He would be found guilty of involuntary manslaughter and he was sentenced to 15 to 25 years. He wound up serving 15 years in prison and was released in 2008, a year before another young lady, Glenna White, would go missing. So he, he didn't learn his lesson. Sounds like a pretty bad guy. Yeah, that's putting it mildly. In the summer of 2009, 17-year-old Glenna White of Alliance had decided to run away from home with her boyfriend. Glenna would have the tragic misfortune of winding up at the home of a friend a few miles away from Alliance. The friend lived with his mother, who shared a house with her boyfriend, the now 34-year-old Robert Moore. The young couple only intended to stay a few days, and in that time, Robert Moore was said to have supplied the runaways with alcohol. Yeah, so it seems like he didn't learn his lesson in prison either. Yeah, the guy wasn't even out of prison for a year, and he's returning to his past ways, and the story even gets worse. After that night of drinking, in the early morning hours, clad only in a sheet, Glenna would approach her boyfriend, claiming Moore had tried to rape her. Her boyfriend would confront Moore, and faced with the accusations, Moore became infuriated and ordered the pair out of the house. He then offered Glenna a ride back home, and Glenna unfortunately agreed. This would be the last time anyone would ever see her alive again. During the investigation, Moore's relatives would later admit to authorities that when Robert Moore returned... An hour and a half later, he would be covered in blood and mud, and his knuckles were scraped and bloody as well. Mahoning County would take the lead in the investigation, but the prosecution could not produce enough evidence. At that time, Moore was not charged with a crime, and Glenna would remain a missing person, although authorities agreed she was most likely dead, and they have been trying to find her body ever since. In June... 2020, Portage County Sheriff Ed Kennedy was investigating another unsolved area murder case and began to notice striking similarities between the two cases. 
He had received a tip about Glenna's disappearance and now had enough information to charge Robert Moore with the murder of Glenna White, and he's currently on trial for the crime as of December 2023. So what tips led to his being charged with the crime? It, it sure took enough time. Yeah, it sure did. And law enforcement really isn't divulging the nature of the tip that they had received, but it sounds like someone close to the case confessed or at least provided enough details to authorities. After all, they didn't have a body. And a detail that came out was that the car that he gave Glenna a ride in mysteriously caught fire a week later, and he called it an accident. Now, that was convenient. So, so what's the latest with this trial? It's absolutely crazy. So in Mahoning County Common Police Court before Judge Maureen Sweeney, Robert Moore was charged with murder and aggravated murder, which from my understanding, that means murder with a weapon. And he was arrested in January 2021 and has been in jail ever since awaiting his trial. In his first trial, Moore was acquitted on the aggravated murder charge, but the jury could not reach a decision on the murder charge, and he would remain in jail for his second trial. Moore was offered a plea deal in the summer of 2023 for only five years for a reduced child endangering charge, but he turned it down. If he is found guilty, he would have to serve a minimum of 15 years, and it's been something of a circus ever since. The latest is that a witness for the prosecution was arrested for aggravated assault in August of 2023, so probably not really good optics for the prosecution. His next trial is set for January of 2024, so stay tuned to this trial. And this would be the fifth time they've tried to seat a jury for his second trial. So that is not the end of the story. It's not the end of the story by a long shot. The story doesn't end there. In fact, far from it. On November 6th in 1993, a young couple enjoying a relaxing night on a lonely beach at Berlin Lake off Utown Road 31-year-old Andy Hoosey and 32-year-old Lisa Waters sat on a log next to an old campfire ring drinking beers and talking. They were enjoying the warm weather and the calm moments before all hell would break loose. Behind them, on a 40-foot cliff in the deep dark woods, a sniper with a 30-30 caliber rifle sighted down a scope and fired shots. The first shot hit Andy, who fell off the log dead, who never even realized what had happened. Lisa tried to run away in terror, but the sniper then took aim again and fired into the darkness at a moving target more than 60 feet away. The bullet would enter the back of her neck and killed her too. She fell dead only 15 feet away from where she'd been sitting. Isn't this kind of like how the Son of Sam murders worked in New York? Didn't he kind of sneak up behind couples and just murder them and they had no idea what was going on? Yeah, I think so. Not only that, I think the uh, the Scorpio killer, or oh, the Zodiac killer in California, I think he kind of operated the, the same, same way. Yeah, same MO. Okay. Yeah. So as the sun came up the next morning, a couple of deer hunters came across the grizzly scene. The police were alerted, investigators arrived, and the coroner began to piece together the awful crime scene. They recovered the spent shells from the cliff where the sniper had done his deadly deed the night before. Police weren't initially surprised that the shots didn't raise concern with neighbors as hunting season for rabbits and pheasants had opened the day before. But it was very clear no one would mistake Waters and Hoosie for small game as this was cold-blooded murder. 
Not a lot is known about Andy Hoosey, although he was the son of Portage County Sheriff Lieutenant Gordon Hoosey and would have been very familiar with the Berlin Reservoir area. His family owned property there, and Andy was known to have enjoyed Berlin Lake. So a sheriff's deputy son was killed, and they never found out who did it. Correct. It's among the crazier aspects of the story. And the way I've always heard is, if you kill a cop or a cop's child, you got big problems, and they might even take care of it outside of the law. Lisa Waters' father, Jerry Waters, told the reporter that as a youngster, Lisa displayed musical talent and loved singing gospel songs with her parents and younger brother. But when she was 16 years old and into her adolescence, her behavior would change. She was diagnosed with a chemical imbalance and put on medication, and medication she didn't always take. Lisa seemed to struggle in life and was unemployed at the time of her murder. She had three children and was unable to take care of any of them, but was working toward getting her kids back. She'd moved back to the area a few months before her death after breaking up with a man she'd been living with in Kent, Ohio for the past three years, and he was the father of one of her children. Lisa was working on getting her high school equivalence degree and to become a nurse so that she could support her three children, but it was not to be. She had recently broken off a relationship with a man who had been charged with raping her and with criminal trespassing. Although she was able to get a temporary protection order, ultimately he was only found guilty of the child endangering. Authorities began to focus on someone with the marksman skills to shoot two people dead in the dark with two shots from 60 feet away. Portage County Sheriff Dwayne Cayley said that he thought it was likely that the killer probably knew the victims and had a suspect in mind, someone who was skilled enough to make that shot. But authorities ultimately never got enough evidence to file a charge, and to this day, the murders of Lisa Waters and Andy Hoosey remain unsolved. So do they have any leads at all, or? Yeah, police would allude to someone from Lisa's past, and the police knew the skills required to pull the shots off like that, and this guy seemed to fit the bill, but unfortunately, there wasn't enough evidence to charge him with a crime. Now, that sounds like it might never be solved. Yeah, unless somebody talks, and somebody knows something somewhere. You would think. You would hope. Sure would. Back on August 25th in 1994 at 7.30 in the morning, just nine months since Waters and Hoosey were murdered, an oil and gas company inspector drove down Futon Road checking gas wells. He spotted a body in the woods just a few hundred feet from where Andy and Lisa were killed. It was the nude and tortured remains of a young girl. Detectives wouldn't publicly make any connections to the two cases, but an unsettling feeling began to creep up around Futown Road residents. The coroner would find the young girl probably died of strangulation, but she'd also been beaten with fists, stabbed with a screwdriver, and cut with a knife. She'd been killed elsewhere, and her body was dumped about 24 hours before the gas inspector found her. The day that the body is discovered, forensic specialists were on site, looking for evidence. While back at the sheriff's office, deputies are contacting area police departments asking about the cases of missing girls. They quickly found a match in nearby Alliance. The police contacted Janet Menendez, who had reported her daughter missing just four days earlier, and asked Janet to come and take a look at the body in the woods. Shortly after noon, deputies escorted Janet past a crowd of reporters and into the darkened woods. 
Seconds later, everyone heard Janet scream. Her daughter, Catherine, had been found. How, how awful, and, and especially the way to identify the body. It's not even in a morgue. It's in the woods still where, it was, where she was murdered. Wow, that's rough. I can't even imagine how horrible that had to be. 17-year-old Catherine Menendez had been last seen by her family that Saturday night. Her family was going to go see a movie, but Catherine decided to stay back, saying that she was going to spend the night at a friend's house over in Deerfield. While staying out at night was not entirely unusual for Kathleen, she always made it a habit to check in with her family, and sometimes her friends would notify her family and just give her reports about her whereabouts. But this time, Catherine's mother knew something was wrong, and she called the police who began to investigate her as a runaway. Janet told investigators about three potential suspects, and all three men would refuse polygraph tests. Janet would describe one who was seeking a relationship, but it had an allegedly violent past. Despite all of this, authorities had no leads and no evidence and turned to the public to assist with any clues or information that might help them with an arrest. The police would inform a wary public that they didn't see any connections in these cases and the only thing they had in common was Futon Road and Berlin Lake. That is until another body turned up. And the hits just keep coming. Yes, they sure do. In November of 1994, one year after Waters and Hoosie were killed and three months after Catherine Menendez was found in the woods at the end of Futon Road, less than half a mile from where Menendez had been found and a mere 200 yards from where Waters and Hoosie were killed, hunters would find the decomposed remains of yet another body. Authorities determined that the body was a white female with strawberry blonde hair, small to medium build, and 14 to 18 years old. However, shortly after, authorities would update the report to indicate that she was most likely 17 to 22 years old, which would prove to be a costly mistake. Mm -hmm. A police facial artist sketch is uploaded to a national database, but no missing persons reports match the description in that age range. Four years later, in 1998, a Portage County detective would see a flyer about a girl missing from Rochester Township in Pennsylvania named Sarah Ray Bame, 14 years old. The detective would contact the Rochester Police Department, but the Rochester Police Chief dismissed it, saying the ages just don't match up. And besides, he said, others have claimed that they'd seen the girl around town and she's probably just a runaway. But some people didn't agree with that opinion. And in 2001, Detective Kim Clements of the Beaver County District Attorney's Office found a sketch on a website called the Doe Network, which was a database of missing persons. The sketch looked a lot like Sarah Bame. The sketch was that of the remains of the young girl found in Portage County, Ohio. Detective Clements requested a DNA comparison, so they took a sample from the remains and a swab from Sarah's mother although it should be noted that Sarah's mother initially refused a DNA swab and one had to be obtained through a court order. Yeah, now see, when you do that, it sounds like you're not guilty, but, you know, there's something more to, why would you refuse that? It, that's crazy. Oh, I think it sounds like you're guilty. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, you sure would think, but her brother would also change his story as to the details of Sarah leaving that night when pressed by the police. Okay, so you got the mother and the brother both... Things are changing in their stories and, and their and their actions. Correct. Now, at this time, it should be noted that the, her parents didn't live together. 
Okay. Her father lived, I don't know where he lived somewhere else, but he didn't live in the house with those, with the family. Okay. And he would later be charged for sexual assault on a girl under 13 after, after Sarah's death. Mm. So they have the remains, they have the DNA, but now the case would face delay after delay. And in the fall of 2001, after the terrorist attack of September 11th, it created this enormous backlog at the FBI, where scientists are trying to determine the remains of thousands of victims in New York, Pennsylvania, and Washington, D.C. It would take more than two years for them to analyze the DNA of Sarah Ray Bame, and in 2003, Nine years after those remains were discovered, they were finally able to confirm that the 14-year-old was indeed the victim found at Berlin Reservoir, 70 miles away from her family's home in a Pittsburgh suburb. Sarah had been a popular girl who was a cheerleader. She said to have loved animals and was an active in her church. Her parents were estranged, and she lived with her mother and brother, and her home life began to be examined more closely, and the police initially began to focus on her home life. On July 14, 1994, Sarah left a note saying she was going to spend the night at a friend who lived two blocks away. When she arrived at the friend's house, she discovered that they had company, so she didn't stay. But she didn't return home either. And when her mother, Phyllis Bame, learned the next day that her daughter hadn't stayed at her friend's house, and after missing a counseling appointment, her mother called the police. Although Sarah hadn't run away before, police seemingly had a reason to call her a runaway. A few days after she disappeared, Sarah's uncle claimed to have found a note tucked under her pillow, and it was a letter, and it was written in four different colored inks. The letter wasn't released to the public until 2011, seven years after her death. And this letter's a little strange. In it, Sarah wrote, I've always said the day I walk out the door is the day I never return. I'm just a burden. I create problems. I've already learned you don't have time for me and you don't care. In the letter, she seemed to be referring to a disturbing relationship with a man. I met a guy who gave me love and whatever else I was not getting at home, she wrote. He was a very, very abusive man. Didn't anyone wonder why I was always injured and said I fell? I don't mind if you don't love me. Please don't hate me. Please don't try to find me because you won't find me. By the time you read this note, I'll be gone. The letter would end with, This is all for the best. Wish me luck and say a prayer for me, okay? I'm sorry. Sarah Ray Bame. No one is really sure who she was addressing in the letter. Since she refers to her mother and brother in the letter, it doesn't appear that she left it for them. It was also weird that it was left in the house that she shared with them and tucked under her pillows. So if you leave a letter for somebody and it's addressed to whoever cares, why wouldn't you leave it somewhere prominently? Why would you leave it under your pillow? It doesn't make sense. In four different ink colors. In four different ink colors. And it was her uncle who said that he was kneeling down on her bed and he put his hands under her pillow and found, mysteriously found this letter. It just doesn't make sense. So investigators said they didn't think that the family was being completely honest with them. They said that they didn't doubt the words were in Sarah's handwriting, but they think that the letter was suspicious because it was written in four different inks and the letter seemed to be pieced together. 
Also, Sarah's family initially refused to turn the letter over and only gave police a photocopy of the letter. As well, Sarah was thought to have had a diary, and they couldn't find the diary either. So they think maybe the family took the diary, kind of cut and pasted this letter together. It's so, so strange. So strange. Yeah, this story is just full of strangeness. Then the police were wondering if the letter was planted, either to help the police or throw them off the track. And it also seems strange that the uncle found the letter under the pillow of a perfectly made bed of a runaway 14-year-old girl. Yeah, so Sarah made her bed before running away. Yeah, it sure sounds strange, doesn't it? Mm. The Beaver County District Attorney, Anthony Barash, was among the skeptics. In a strange way, he says, Sarah is speaking to us. And I really believe the message she is giving is, that's not my letter. That's not a letter from me. Additionally, in 1993, 10 months before her disappearance, Sarah would claim to be the victim of an attempted abduction. In an interview to a TV station, she said, I was just thinking, oh, please, God, just don't let him kill me. Just had a thought in my head that I was going to be killed. Nothing really ever became of that TV interview. So here we are 29 years later, and nobody has been arrested in any of the Berlin Reservoir cases. Authorities say that it's possible the two girls are the victims of a serial killer, but stopped short of claiming the cases are related, just that the cases are parallel. While there are suspects for both girls' murders, they are not the same suspects, and it's possible they aren't even connected at all. While the cases may be old, they are not forgotten. In 2009, the FBI put up billboards featuring the Menendez and Bain cases along the highways in Pennsylvania and Ohio. In 2015, the Portage County Sheriff's cold case team took a new look at the cases. They resubmitted the old evidence to the FBI, and the FBI even returned to Berlin Reservoir to reprocess the scene. Since the woods where the girls were found gets very little foot traffic, it's possible that evidence still remained. If they found anything of interest, they have not shared it, and it has not led to any arrest. And there is still one more indirect but very creepy connection to this part of Berlin Reservoir. When Sarah Bames' remains were found in 1994, a Stark County newspaper quoted a man named Danny Jenkins, who was a 51-year-old hunter who said he was one of those who discovered her body. Although authorities would later claim to deny that's true. Three years after that, that same Danny Jenkins would go on a hunting trip with his buddies, Dwayne and William Lockhart in Harrison County near Tappan Lake. He would shoot them point blank with a 12-gauge shotgun and rob them of $5,000. Jenkins is currently serving a life sentence for those murders, but no one has connected him to any of the Berlin Lake killings. And Portage County authorities say that he lied when he claimed to have been among the hunters who discovered Sarah Bame's remains. The cases remain open to this day, and the families are left to deal with the sadness and grief surrounding these cases. These, this is a crazy story. So many loose ends, so many unresolved things going on here. It's still continuing in the courts. It's gonna, it sounds like it's going to be a long time before, or if anything, will ever be resolved. The only way they're going to be able to solve it, potentially, if Robert Moore 
during his trial coming up in January of 2024. If he has anything to say or if anybody has any insider knowledge, they come to the authorities and hopefully can resolve this uh, so the families can get some closure on these matters. Yeah, and, so, and if any of the listeners want any more information on this, we know, as you mentioned in, in the beginning, that Paula and Steve did an episode on this. They can go back and uh, listen to that episode for more information. Yes, and also there's another podcast called Murder Road Podcast that some women who lived on Futon Road during these murders, they also have a podcast. So if you want more information, certainly go check them out as well. Sounds great. Great story, Dan. Nice job. Thank you. Thanks for listening, and stay tuned for more. Bye. Bye. If you enjoyed this podcast and want to hear more like it, head over to ohiomysteries.com. With over 500 podcasts to choose from, there's sure to be one that's going to keep you captivated. I'm Dan, and I can be found at YouTube at North Coast History and Haunts. My partner Mike can be found at Facebook at Too Late for Autographs. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.